This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon. Welcome to the program. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain today, who is off who is off on vacation, taking some well-deserved time off, but she will be back on Monday. But for this afternoon, we're going to dive into the topic of the education system in the province. And we have the province's new Minister of Education, been in the role for about a month. That's Minister John Haggie. Minister Haggie, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Richard. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out uh, to join us today. I know it must be busy now with preparations heading into the new school year and whatnot. Um, but there's so much to talk about in terms of education. And uh, But, you know, the last time that me and you spoke, uh, you were still Minister of Health at the time. And uh, so now you've been in the education portfolio for about a month. You were sworn in early in July. So I guess just to start off, how are things going uh, as you're now settling into this new role in the Department of Education? It's really interesting. It's uh, completely different uh, in many respects. It's an area that I was always interested in. Uh, and uh, it's a bit like drinking from a fire hose. You know, there's an awful lot uh, to get. Uh, I, I do miss health. Uh, it was certainly a challenge. Uh, and uh, the staff there were extremely good uh, and really great uh, to work with. Uh, my wife works in healthcare, though, and I think she's really happy I'm out because her colleagues have stopped being nasty to her, which is really really good so now um, you know you're new into this portfolio and you're sort of getting your feet wet in terms of learning the ins and outs of of the education portfolio but I guess for you coming in now what were some of your big main focuses now initially coming in well, again, COVID has kind of collared everything over the last few years. And I think we have uh, a, a cohort, a group of students now whose entire <clears throat> uh, senior high school experience has been uh, affected uh, by COVID uh, in ways that we, we never really uh, thought of um, because it was new to all of us. Um, there's talk about learning loss, and, and we've had one symposium uh, with the uh, post-secondary uh, group Groups, and we have another one coming uh, next week, which will involve the K-12 system. We're bringing in about 90 or 100 frontline educators, NLTA, Memorial, uh, stakeholders from the department to look at um, what those impacts might be. Uh, and so I'm really interested to see what comes out of that, because there's a plan then to see you know, what the problem is, what the magnitude of it is. We certainly hear a lot about mental health of our, uh, our students students. Um, but I think the key for the coming year is to focus very much on a normalcy as far as is safely possible to bring back in-person uh, learning uh, for the entire K-12 system. Uh, and I think uh, that's my short-term focus at the moment. And certainly the department's been working very hard in that regard. And as you just mentioned, uh, that new school year starts up in a couple of weeks. Uh, the department yesterday sent out a news release saying that things uh, in terms of this upcoming school year will basically be the same as they left in June. Uh, so just give us a rundown of what parents can expect now uh, in a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, as I said, uh, Richard, our priority for the school year is to maintain and support in-person learning uh, as safely as, as can be done. So uh, in no particular order, um, we follow the guidelines from public health. So masks will be recommended, but as in the rest of the province, they're not mandated. Uh, in terms of monitoring that, um, if the situation changes uh, during the school year and there's a particular school or an area or, or the province, uh, and those recommendations change, and obviously we would too. Um, so uh, the other recommendation, obviously, is that uh, members of the school community, uh, student teachers, staff, they should stay home if they're sick. Dr Fitzgerald has said this for the last 18 months. But I think in the context of, uh, you know, schools and parenting, uh, you know, if you're a student or, or you're a member of staff and, and you have um, a runny nose from allergies or uh, a, a bit of a wheeze from, uh, from asthma or you've had a viral infection and you've still got a persistent cough, but you're otherwise well, those are not reasons to stay home. The important thing is to try and normalize the school year as far as possible. Uh, and the final piece from a health point of view is really about vaccinations. Uh, everybody can do their bit by being uh, up, up to date with their vaccinations. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, we now have vaccine available uh, even for, uh, you know, kindergarten age as well. So that's something that uh, we'd be certainly very keen to encourage. And in talking about trying to maintain a level of normalcy throughout the school year and really keeping things as in person as is possible, uh, how important is keeping up with those vaccinations in that context? I think it's very helpful because by protecting yourself, you protect your, your classmates or your colleagues at work, uh, your colleagues in the community. Um, <clears throat> you know, a well-vaccinated uh, school is, is a key part to a, a well-protected community. Uh, these vaccines work. They are safe. They're now available for kindergarten uh, students as well. Uh, so um, I, I think that's really, uh, really important. Uh, and and uh, by protecting each other, uh, we protect ourselves too. What's the plan in terms of access to schools for the upcoming school year? Because I know a question that's on many parents' minds will be, are they allowed to go in with their kids on the first day of school, uh, for example, in September? Because I know for me, I have a, a seven-year-old. He's going into grade three now in September. And for the last couple of years, we haven't been able to go in with him on the first day of school. So what's the plan for access in, in terms of parents being able to go in and, and, and that? I think, we're, again, we're trying to uh, minimize risk, but we're also trying to make it as normal as possible. Uh, the specifics around, you know, new st students that are new to a school or a particular grade, I think, uh, uh, is, is, is a concern to those parents. Uh, and, uh, you know, that would be managed, I think, on, on a local basis. Uh, unless there's some major concern about uh, prevalence of disease there, I think a little bit of leeway way as possible but again it, it's it's difficult to know uh, what level of risk the more traffic you have in a school uh, by and large that would be where the concerns are but uh, I think um, from the point of view of uh, uh, the school year we're trying to make it as normal as possible. And now in preparations for the school year, I know that uh, we've been hearing coverage from across the country about things such as teacher shortages across the country. Are we seeing the impacts of that here? And how is recruitment now heading into September? 
One of the uh, discussions I'm hoping to have with the NLTA uh, in particular, as well as the school district, uh, is around uh, recruitment of, of uh, teachers. We have uh, been very fortunate in this province in the sense that we have a, a very high percentage of uh, master's uh, level uh, teachers, so we have a very well-educated workforce, uh, and we want to, uh, to help support that. Uh, memorial in its various uh, programs uh, graduates around 170 new uh, teachers each year. There was a dip in 2020 because of the effects then of COVID. Uh, and what we need to do is make recruitment and retention uh, a priority. And I think working with uh, the NLTA uh, and the school district as, as the, uh, the amalgamation, the merger, as it were, takes place, uh, will help us come up with a, a plan. Um, professionals across the province and across the country are in general in short supply. Um, you've seen that in my previous portfolio in health. Every province is struggling with it to some extent. So we need to make sure that we're on our game as far as recruitment and retention is concerned. Uh, and in terms of those positions, are most positions uh, filled now heading into September? I've not been made aware by uh, the NLESD of any particular areas uh, that are of concern. There are posts here and there uh, that are never usually uh, filled until the very last minute, and I don't think this year will be any different. Um, I spoke with Mr. Stack recently, and there were no concerns brought to me uh, of any magnitude there, apart from the comment that there are the odd jobs here and there that still need to be filled. We're speaking with Education Minister John Hagee on today's edition of On Target. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now on the program, but when we come back, I want to talk about more of the allocations in terms of uh, teachers' aids and assistance and uh, supports for children who uh, have impairments such as uh, hearing impairments. So we're going to pick up that conversation when we come back after this break. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And welcome back to On Target here on VOCM. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain. Today, my guest on today's program is the Minister of Education. That's John Hagee. And Minister Hagee, before the break, we were talking about preparations for the upcoming school year, uh, making sure that the necessary positions are filled in terms of teachers um, and, and everything that's needed there. And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, allocations for uh, teachers' aides, assistance, and that sort of thing, because I know that there have been uh, comments made uh, over the last couple of years uh, regarding allocations on that front. So how are we doing there, and how are things looking now heading into the fall? Yeah, the teacher uh, allocation formula uh, is under review, and in actual fact, uh, uh, I'm due to receive the report of the review committee uh, in the near future. That's been postponed a couple of times over the, the last couple of weeks because of scheduling challenges. That will not affect this year's allocation going forward. It will be brought in for the year beginning September of 2023. So the allocation formula that we're used to at the moment is the one that will run for this academic year. I want to shift gears a little bit more now and talk about uh, supports for, for students, specifically those who are hard of hearing or deaf. And uh, I was in the news recently that hearings are scheduled for later this month into a human rights complaint from Todd and Kim Churchill about supports for their son. Uh, and I won't ask you to comment on those hearings uh, specifically, but what's your assessment in terms of supports for deaf children in the, in the school system now? And what's your department doing to address some of the gaps that have been raised? 
I think the issue of supports for um, students with uh, physical exceptionalities is, is top of mind. Uh, the whole principle of the school system is uh, that uh, youth and children should have um, the same opportunities in their educational experience. Uh, and by and large, uh, you know, teachers work very hard uh, to achieve that. I think in terms of specific um, issues, uh, such as hearing, uh, there are supports in place currently. Whether these are sufficient and whether these need to be changed is a subject of discussion. Uh, and certainly in my previous portfolio, I had um, very engaging discussions with the Newfoundland and Labrador Association for the Deaf. And I think I would certainly be interested in, in hearing what they have to say on a go forward basis uh, about that particular community. But we also have uh, you know, blind and visually impaired students uh, for whom we need to provide supports as well. Uh, and we do have um, uh, a steady uh, graduation, as it were, of uh, uh, resource teachers who have specific training uh, in, uh, in, in uh, helping such students. Uh, one of our challenges, quite frankly, uh, is in getting student aids, uh, student assistance in the classroom, because um, like other uh, walks of life, uh, recruitment and getting people into the workforce seems to be uh, a challenge. Uh, and uh, we've seen, uh, uh, we've seen uh, various sectors of the economy uh, struggle uh, with getting uh, individuals like that. And the requirements for a student assistant are, you know, essentially uh, uh, a background check, some experience working with children uh, and a high school diploma. So it, it's not like um, the, uh, the, their, um, their qualifications are some that would be particularly difficult to find. These are the kind of hands-on, close support uh, that some students uh, uh, find of great benefit. And, and each of these students, of course, has an individualized uh, education or assessment plan. Uh, and um, it's down to the school district currently uh, to make sure that those plans are honored uh, and uh, the resources are provided. Going forward, of course, I think as... Um, the uh, school district uh, um, becomes uh, absorbed or merged with the Department of Education, then the, uh, some of that operational control will pass to the department. But that's going to be a transition process that we're working through at the moment. Speaking of uh, children who are in the system who might need uh, a, a, a different kind of support, um, I know that in the spring and in the f uh, last fall, uh, there were calls to look at supports for uh, refugees coming into the province. Of course, we have um, uh, the province had that help desk over in Poland to help uh, refugees from Ukraine come over here. Um, and I know that uh, in the House of Assembly, it was uh, the NDP were specifically raising concerns about support supports for uh, refugee and, and immigrant children coming in. Um, what, what, what sort of supports are in place now in terms of being able to help them? Because again, that's an, another really specific set of needs and uh, that needs to be ta tailored to the specific uh, set of circumstances from which they're coming from. So what sort of supports are in place for uh, students who uh, have come from war-torn war countries uh, moving forward, and what's your assessment of how we are there? Well, there's, there's several threads to that. I mean, uh, children and youth who come from, uh, you know, areas of strength, 
strife are by and large challenged from uh, a mental health perspective uh, and an anxiety perspective as well as from maybe a language or a um, uh, you know the, the the more routine kind of thing so uh, we've added uh, over the last four years uh, a dozen or so uh, teachers with uh, English of a second language uh, and um, the Association of New Canadians uh, has been uh, uh, partnering in kind of the supports around the school life, uh, the school day. Uh, and with having had the, the summer, um, then some of these supports, uh, particularly for the Ukrainian families, I think there is a, uh, through Minister Burns' shop and the ANC, uh, a quite a robust uh, um, mechanism there to uh, to put these families in touch with, with resources of all kinds. Uh, the ANC have just opened another office in central uh, in Gander to complement the one in Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, to help deal with some of this. So uh, is that enough? Uh, we'll be talking to both um, IPGS and, and uh, Minister Burns' uh, shop, as well as the ANC, uh, as the school year unfolds, to uh, to keep an eye on that, as well as listening to what our frontline uh, educators have to tell us about how these uh, youth and children are fitting into the classroom. Moving on to another topic now, and you mentioned it a little while ago, uh, the English school district being merged into the Department of Education. Just wondering if you can give us an update on how that process is going and sort of any foreseen impacts on uh, how things are working moving forward. Uh, from the point of view of the integration, there is an integration team. Uh, I spoke with Mr. Stacker, and, and our goals are really aligned. There should be um, uh, no uh, impact on frontline learning. Uh, the students should uh, really not notice anything. Uh, and uh, the second thing is that uh, you need to have um, the, the people who provide those uh, administrative services through the school district, uh, particularly at a very local level, those individuals individuals will, will, will be entirely necessary uh, going forward. So uh, it's about managing the change and managing the uncertainty. Uh, from the point of view of the bigger picture, uh, there will be an amendment brought to the House of Assembly to the Schools Act, uh, again at the call of the government House leader, but I'm hoping that that will be uh, early on in this uh, coming sitting of the House, which will enable the absorption of the school district into the department and its uh, its ultimate sort of dissolution as an entity. Uh, later on, um, uh, once the transition uh, team have begun the operational shifts uh, after that amendment, I think there will be then a huge opportunity to actually probably repeal the Schools Act and replace it with a new Education Act. But that would be a slightly longer term thing. It certainly wouldn't happen before the fall of 23, I would think. But again, some of that is determined by the government house leader and the legislative calendar. So at the moment, uh, you know, things are proceeding. Uh, and the next, uh, the next real jump in terms of uh, moving ahead will be the legislative piece in the fall. So in talking about that legislative piece for the fall, is it your hope that, I guess, that merger w could be completed by the end of this year? 
I don't know whether the end of this calendar year would be uh, entirely realistic. Uh, there may be certain merits in lining things up, certainly with a fiscal calendar rather than a, uh, you know, just the uh, the January to December one. Um, just from the you know point of view of ease of accounting, uh, I think there will be, um, uh, you know, some new reporting lines that need to be set up, and quite frankly, uh, within the department, we need to formally set up uh, something along the lines of a public schools branch uh, under a senior civil servant uh, who will then uh, become the overall administrator in charge of school system, uh, K-12, to uh, and then would report into the, uh, the civil service in the same way as a, um, uh, you know, assistant deputy minister, deputy minister, or whatever grade the, um, the, the clerk and the premier feel is appropriate for that. So we've got some internal work to do, but uh, a lot of the other stuff, as it were, will fall to the integration team, uh, which is well established and has started to meet. Uh, and um, uh, the, the real enabler is the, uh, the piece of legislation that will allow a timeline for dissolution of the NLESD as a legal entity. My guest on On Target today is Education Minister John Hagee. I almost said Health Minister. It's still, I'm still trying to get used to that change. Um, but uh, we're going to take another quick break now. When we come back, I want to dive into the topics of pre-kindergarten and also the daycare system in the province. So that's coming up after the break. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain on today's program. Uh, Education Minister John Hagee joining me today. And now I want to get into the topic of pre-kindergarten because it was announced a couple months ago that the YMCA, YMCA will be helping to deliver that program. Uh, where are we with that? I know that the goal was to have some locations ready to go for the fall. Yes, certainly. Um, this is a, a, a federally uh, described and funded program which will allow um, um, education uh, uh, to, to begin pre-kindergarten. It's not just about, uh, you know, sponsored childcare. This is about uh, preparing uh, children uh, to uh, enjoy and enter kindergarten in the, uh, uh, in the best way possible. Um, the Y, uh, YMCA will be the agency, the not-for-profit that will do this for the pilot sites. Um, I think uh, given the fact that early childhood educators <clears throat> excuse me, are, are like other professionals uh, in short supply. We boosted the number of seats and the number of training opportunities there, but there will be a, a lead time as those uh, extra seats are taken up uh, and uh, then these people do their courses and are available to, to work in the market. So uh, there is an expectation that the Y will have uh, some sites open uh, for uh, uh, maybe uh, mid to late September, and then they will phase in the others uh, over the course of the next uh, uh, the next little while into the uh, into the um, uh, early part of um, 2023. Simply because uh, of the magnitude, there's some minor renovations that are needed in some locations. These are all being physically located within schools. 
some of the newer schools, such as Gander Academy, there's really very little there uh, that needs to be done at all, um, uh, except maybe move some shelves to fit with the Service NL's code for uh, for childcare, because this is um, uh, because it's funded by the federal government, who do not have jurisdiction in education. Uh, this is specified as a uh, a pre-K uh, early uh, early childhood learning rather than uh, part of the provincial school system. And to, as you mentioned, a big part of this pre-kindergarten program will be to help alleviate some of the struggles that, that have been reported around uh, access to childcare spaces. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard from people who say that, you know, to, in order to get your child on the wait list for daycare now, you need to get them on the wait list while you're still pregnant, right? So there, it, it will go a long way in terms of addressing that. Um, how many spaces are you hoping overall will be created through this program? Uh, ultimately, we're, we're, we would like to pretty well double uh, our current uh, set of spaces. So I think, um, <clears throat> I think off the top of my head, uh, we're looking at um, uh, 600 in the first uh, first go round, uh, and then uh, over the next five years, incrementally, we would take that up uh, a significant notch. Um, uh, so I think the difference between what we've got now and what we will have at the end of the program is just over 3,000 seats, spaces. Moving on now to uh, early childhood education, and uh, I know that one thing, big thing that ECEs are have been waiting eagerly for some details on is the wage grid that government is hoping to implement. Uh, I spoke with the former education minister, Tom Osborne, about this. I think it was around in June, and he said more details about that wage grid would be provided sometime over the summer. Uh, so where is government with that, and can you provide any details yet about what that is going to look like? Uh, the the RFP for the consultant to to uh, to do the work uh, is out there and the proponent's been uh, chosen. Um, we have um, uh, been trying to meet myself and the uh, uh, the director of the Association of Early Childhood Educators, uh, and again scheduling issues over the summer have uh, have pushed that back a little bit. Um, certainly. Uh, a key part of um, uh, of attracting uh, ECEs is to have uh, uh, you know a, a competitive wage. Uh, we've seen the other jurisdictions uh, 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 going down the same road. Um, the federal government are uh, prepared to uh, to help uh, in terms of uh, you know the funding for for training and for making spaces. Um, we've worked with um, College of the North Atlantic and the private colleges to to provide this training so again there is a, a lead time and a lag time uh, but by the time the um, this new tranche of uh, of ECEs comes uh, comes out of their uh, certification programs the wage grid will be ready and uh, j just more on that uh, I know that the target was to have this implemented by January is that still where you're aiming for uh, that's still my my goal yes Okay, perfect. And I know that um, with that wage supplement, uh, or sorry, with the, uh, yes, the wage grid, um, I know that currently ECs get um, a, a wage supplement. It comes out, I think, once every three months. Uh, currently, they have to, there's a whole process that they have to go through in terms of uh, submitting uh, their hours. They have to submit a form to government in order to get that. And I've received a couple of questions from ECs wondering, will that still be part of the process when the wage grid is introduced, or is that, well, that's sort of be scrapped uh, when that wage grid comes in? 
no, they'll have one wage. It'll all be pensionable and just like a salary from, from anywhere else. And, and that'll be it. It'll come from their employer. Okay, well, there you go on that. Um, this one ties in a bit with your uh, old portfolio of uh, of health. Um, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier about in terms of um, in, in the school system of how um, – Masking has will be man or sorry uh, will be recommended uh, this coming sc- uh, school year. Um, what about in terms of uh, daycares and uh, those sorts of spaces? Because as has been mentioned, that's still a group that's you know they they are eligible now. Six six months plus can get their vaccines, but still uh, a group that is still in in the process of getting vaccinated. Um, so is, is there sort of a different approach that you think might be needed in terms of daycares for masking in the fall or what's your take on that? Uh, we're not going to make any recommendations for our, the ones that we run. Uh, you've got to remember that uh, daycares are slightly different in the sense that some are run by not-for-profits uh, and some are private businesses. Our private businesses have the ability to uh, to set requirements for their uh, their clientele that are outside of government's control. Uh, I would uh, uh, I would not see um, uh, the need to do anything different than public health recommendations which is recommended masks but not mandating masks but uh, as I say some of those operators will make uh, their own decisions we're speaking with education minister John Hagee on today's edition of on target we're going to take our final break of the day but when we come back I want to dive into the issues around uh, post-secondary education and there's a whole bunch more that we have left for you coming up in the last segment of the program so stick around we'll be back in a flash Saturday morning join us for the Irish Newfoundland show send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com and welcome back to On Target. Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain on today's edition of the program. Education Minister John Hagee is my de- guest today, and we're talking about all things related to uh, the education portfolio. As we know, uh, Minister Hagee uh, still fairly new to the portfolio, having uh, just been sworn in just over a month ago. And now, Minister Hagee, I want to talk about post-secondary education. Um, overall, there's a lot to look at in terms of how you handle uh, the issues surrounding post-secondary education. Uh, as you come into this portfolio now and you look at institutions like MUN and College of the North Atlantic, what are some of the big areas that you see that you would like to tackle first? I think, again, um, some of it is is around uh, um, for CNA, for example. Uh, they have some superb programs. Uh, the AME AST program in Ganda, for example, uh, is uh, uh, very well uh, subscribed and uh, they're job ready. They're, they're completely able to, to walk out with their ticket from Transport Canada and they can walk into any uh, aviation uh, business. Um, one of the, uh, the challenges is we're expanding uh, some of the campuses. So we have the LPN program, the PCA program uh, undergoing a a significant uh, expansion uh, and uh, uh, with the uh, with mon uh, I think uh, one of the discussions there is around the act uh, and also making sure that people understand that uh, it's not 
not government's intent or desire to interfere with, uh, you know, academic freedom in any way, shape or form. But the autonomy or freedom of the institution itself uh, really um, uh, maybe something needs to be discussed in terms of uh, the level of support provided by uh, government uh, and uh, uh, some, uh, you know, responsibility slash accountability uh, for how that money is is spent. Uh, And we have uh, really a proposal uh, to revise the Monarch, but we also have the Auditor General uh, visiting Mon at the moment. So I think uh, we need to just be a little bit careful around how we uh, time those various things so we make the best decisions in the light of information uh, around Mon. Um, the private colleges have been very helpful in trying to step up and fill gaps and expand where possible. Um, we we know that there is a shortage of um, uh, skilled professions, uh, and this is our supply route to get those. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting with uh, Ms. Kidd, the uh, CEO of um, President of CNA. Unfortunately, again, through scheduling requirements, that's not been possible. I've had two conversations with uh, um, uh, Dr. Timmins uh, about uh, MON, uh, and uh, they're looking for uh, government's help in changing some of their governance structures to make the university um, uh, a, a more streamlined for a governance point of view. Um, we have uh, one of the uh, the best uh, universities in many respects uh, in in the country, uh, and I think we need to recognise that uh, and help it um, l- least maintain that, if not excel even further. But again, you know, what kind of um, uh, what kind of world, uh, you know, the new Monarch will have to deal with uh, will really be flavoured by the Auditor General's report uh, and, uh, you know, what happens with COVID and things like that over the course of the next little while. Uh, you mentioned the Auditor General report, and of course that was um, ordered to be done uh, through the former Minister of Education, Tom Osborne, and Finance Minister Siobhan Cody uh, got the ball rolling on that. Um, when When is that expected to be completed? Do you have any idea? idea there? I don't really have a timeline at all, Richard. My understanding is the Auditor General's team is going into Mon at a high level and then figuring out where it's going to go into a very deep dive. And then once they've done that, um, you know, they'll they'll be better placed to answer that question. But uh, you might be better asking the Auditor General that question. Uh, that's just my understanding of the process that uh, they've outlined. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about tuition now uh, for, as we saw with the last provincial budget, uh, you know, uh, tuition is going up at Memorial University, international students seeing a pretty significant increase um, in, in the tuition that they pay. And there have been calls from various groups uh, for government to do what it can to keep tuition as low as possible. Uh, what's your take on the current post-secondary tuition situation and the calls to keep things as low as possible? couple of things. Uh, one, money is still the most, uh, or one of the most affordable universities in the country, even with uh, the uh, the changes. Uh, the level of subsidy to Memorial from government uh, here is, uh, I think, if not the highest in the country, it's the, the second highest. It, it, normally, that runs around 45% uh, of their uh, revenue comes from uh, government, provincial government. Uh, Mon, it's 70. Um, we have uh, taken uh, money and put it into a tuition relief grant, and that's needs-based. 
uh, and uh, there is a, a debt forgiveness program uh, for those who complete their studies successfully. So if you go to university with, uh, um, uh, you know, loans and grants uh, through the province and then the federal government, uh, between them, if you graduate, then you can be debt free uh, if you do so successfully. So um, I understand the concerns of uh, the student body. Uh, I think to be fair to the people of the province who fund Memorial uh, to a significant extent, um, we have uh, added money to the students in terms of uh, their ability to meet the tuition fees uh, and also to have those uh, loans forgiven um, should they be successfully in their studies. A couple more, uh, Minister Haggy. now before we run out of time on the K-12 system, uh, one that just popped in my head. Uh, earlier this week on this show, I had Leela Evans uh, talking about various indigenous issues in regard to Labrador and the topic of people needing to know the history of our indigenous peoples, their struggles, uh, the, the issue of colonialism. Um, how does the department plan to address calls for more education about our indigenous peoples, especially in the K-12 system? And are there any plans to sort of uh, ramp that up and, and, and add more to the system now uh, in regards to our indigenous history? Uh, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, if you look at the Education Action Plan, one of the five uh, uh, items there uh, was around uh, uh, indigenous history and uh, the story of colonization and settlers. And I think uh, uh, there is uh, input from indigenous groups to be able to inform that uh, in the K-12 system. Uh, Memorial has taken a slightly different view uh, and uh, approach, and they have a, a whole uh, glossy brochure from their uh, their new um, uh, senior executive around indigenization of um, curricula and programs. So I think it's a really important piece. Um, and and um, from my understanding of uh, some fairly superficial discussions at the moment with uh, Minister Dempster's shop, uh, they do seem to line up, uh, both of these initiatives line up with recommendations from the Truth and Reconciliation um, uh, report. So I think, uh, uh, you know, we'll be guided very much by the indigenous group as to what their view is of what we're doing or what is being proposed. Uh, and certainly in areas in their jurisdiction, such as uh, Principal Labrador or Con River, if uh, they wish to uh, uh, to have a little bit more control over the curriculum to deal with uh, elements of uh, truth and reconciliation and indigenization and this kind of thing uh, and, and cultural sensitivity. I'm certainly very open to those discussions and would be happy to hear what they'd like to say. And one more, Minister. Uh, the issue of ventilation in schools became a big topic, uh, especially as COVID sort of took took a hold of everyone's attention over the last couple of years. Uh, air purifiers were brought in, in uh, into schools, uh, I think it was last year, and uh, as we have heard, those will continue to be in place at schools uh, for this year. Um, but it, it was noted and one of the things that were brought to light through that issue was that there are a lot of the older schools throughout the province that really need some new systems altogether and I was just curious to hear if, if there are any plans with the department to look at addressing that. 
one of the uh, the um, issues that we have in education, as in a lot of other government departments, is uh, a, uh, a kind of infrastructure debt. We have oldish infrastructure in some areas. Some of the schools in this province, uh, some of the fabric is, is now 100 years old, and there are others at 50. And then in Gander, for example, the, uh, the academy is uh, brand spanking new. So um, we need uh, uh, to have uh, an assessment of, of those. The, um, the machines that were, uh, were put into uh, the classrooms uh, are um, uh, of a standard that has been looked at by environmental health and service NL, uh, and they're certainly a reasonable, uh, a reasonable short-term measure. Uh, but longer term, uh, the whole issue of the infrastructure de debt, as it were, in education facilities, K-12, uh, is one that needs to be addressed and we need a plan to do it. Uh, our fiscal challenge is actually finding uh, the money to do that um, and, and, and at a pace that makes sense. So those are discussions I have with my colleagues uh, around the Treasury Board table uh, and the Cabinet table. So it's on the radar, but it's again constrained by uh, our need to try and balance our uh, fiscal books. Education Minister John Hagee, we have about two minutes left here on, now on the program. Any final thoughts about uh, your current role in, in the Department of Education or anything else that you want to add to this discussion now before we, we uh, run out of time? I think uh, I, I'm, I'm really glad uh, to be in education. I think there are some huge opportunities here to build on uh, an exceptionally skilled um, educators that we have in, in the province to allow them to use those skills uh, to get our um, diplomates, our graduates of the K-12 system, um, uh, you know, into the best place so that if someone from Newfoundland and Labrador with a high school diploma applies to an education facility anywhere in the country, people know that they're getting gold, they're getting grade A material. And I think there's a lot of opportunity over the next little while to set us out on a plan to use some of the challenges that we've risen to during COVID and that the teaching staff have risen to uh, in terms of newer ways of delivery, in terms of newer ways of engaging with students using technology. They all have Chromebooks now, this kind of thing. There's some huge opportunities here to build on the, the sort of um, technological leaps that have come out of, of COVID. But at the end of the day, the key to education for the short term at the moment for me is back to in-person normalcy as far as is humanly possible and safe to do so. Minister John Hagee, we'll have to leave it there. We've covered a lot of ground over the last hour. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. You're more than welcome, Richard. Uh, thanks for your interest, and I'm sure our paths will cross again in the not-too-distant future. Absolutely. Education Minister John Hagee, uh, thank you very much. Uh, we're all out of time on today's edition of On Target. Thank you so much for tuning in. Linda Swain is back in this chair on Monday. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk soon. Bye for now.